0: Well, good morning, good morning. It's good to see all you here today. And if you are a guest with us, a special welcome to you. If you're tuning in online for the first time, thank you for tuning in with us. We're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 22. So if you have your Bible, I hope you do, go ahead and make your way there. A few things of just celebration I want to share with you beforehand. And then just tell you a little bit about this series. If you are new, we're grateful that you're here because this is a great time for you to be here. I mentioned it last week, but I encourage you, if you're new, to stick six with us. Stick six weeks Because over last week and the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about why we exist as a church, what we're all about. And there are a lot of great churches in our Charlotte area, and we're grateful that you've checked out us today. And hopefully, as you stick six, you get to hear a little bit of our passion, our desire, our vision that God has given to our church. And uh, you'll hear over the next several weeks that this is not a, a reinvention of the wheel. This is exactly what Christ called us to do when he founded the church. He said... We should love him, we should love others, and that we should seek and make disciples of all nations. And so our mission statement is all about that. And you saw it as you watched that video just a minute ago, but if you missed it, you're grabbing your Bible or something like that, I wanted to put it back up on the screen and just walk you through it. I want us to know this, to see this, to own this as a church. This can't just be, well, that's the pastor's vision for the church, so I'm glad the pastoral team spoke into that and they love it. This should be our heartbeat and our desire as a church. We should know this. We should be working to live this out. Because this this vision statement, this mission statement for our church, shapes everything that we do. From the worship we do on Sunday morning, to our kids ministry is run, to our student ministry, to our adult small groups. All of that is because of this. And a lot of people can tell you what they do, but few can tell you why they do it. And this statement tells us why we do all the things that we do. So you see on the screen there, the start of it is to glorify God. This is our vision to glorify God. And I said it last week, and I'll say it again. It's not to glorify a pastor, it's not to glorify a political party, it's not to glorify what our culture says is comfortable and acceptable. It is to glorify God and Him alone. So this is our vision. Now, how do we do that? You see it in the second point, by making more and better disciples. This is Jesus' command to us, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And so this is our desire, this is our prayer that we would do this, that we would make more and better disciples. And I've heard people say, hey, who's your church for? Ryan, who's your church for is it for young people or is it for old people? Is it for those that are mature in their faith or is it for those people who are just kind of seeking God? And my answer to that is yes. Yes. It's for every generation. It's for all nations and races. It, our, our church is for everyone. Because this is God's desire. This is God's heartbeat. And so in this statement, we want to make more disciples. That's, we want to share the gospel and allow the Holy Spirit to change lives. We want to do that, church. We want to be a, a small group community that's, that's understanding this and diving into that. That's why we're reading Life on Mission right now. And some of y'all have already completed the whole book, and that's amazing. Some of y'all are going to go to small groups tonight and get to talk about it for the very first time. But this book is telling us how, how we live our life on mission for Jesus. How do we glorify him in all these areas of our lives? We want to share the gospel and see people believe. We want to make more disciples And we also want to make better disciples, which means maturing in their faith and in their belief. So, what we want to do as a church. How do we grow in our faith? We want to do that. That's why we take times like we just did to pray. We as a church want to grow in our prayer according to the way God calls us to pray. So our vision is to glorify God. Our mission is that it would be to make more and better disciples. And our goal or our destination is from neighborhoods to nations. God wants us to go across the street and across the pond because the light that shines the brightest at home will shine the furthest. And so church, we have to be the gospel light here in our city and in our nation and then allow that light to shine to the ends of the earth. That's our our passion and our desire as a church. And so last week we started this, but over the next several weeks we're going to walk through this mission statement here and see how this is just reiterating what Christ has spoken to us through his word. And with this mission statement, I'm excited to say there's a lot of things God's already doing to to help us fulfill this call to glorify Him. So you're gonna see this next week, but I want to share it with you today so we can celebrate both weeks, this week and next week. But we've already seen people. We got three people that next week are taking taking that step of faith to grow in maturity, and they're going to be baptized next Sunday. So I'm excited to say we got three people that say, yes, God, we see this command in your scripture, and we want to be obedient to you and follow that. But also next week, we're going to see ten people that are joining our church, that are saying we see this vision, we see this mission, and this is something we want to partner with. We want to run alongside each other as a church to partner with this. And so, church family, I'm excited. I hope that you're excited to see people take these steps of faith. And another thing I'm excited about, and then I I do want to applaud, I want to clap to God's faithfulness, but one other thing I want to share with you is many of you have been faithful to pray for our worship pastor position. And over the last several months, we've been seeking and prayerfully considering who God would have to be our next worship pastor. And after interviewing with our pastoral team, after interviewing with our administrative team, our staff and our worship team, I'm excited to tell you that we have called Brandon Webby, to be our next worship pastor here at West Bears Church. Let's <laughs> applaud for that. <laughs> Brandon was here just a few weeks ago, just filling in on one of the weeks that we needed. And so if you missed hearing Brandi- Brandon lead us in worship, you can go back to December 13th, that Sunday Brandon led us. Um, and if not, just pray for him and his family this week. Brandon will be on stage leading us in worship next Sunday. So just welcome him and his family as they transition and come to lead us in this area, I'm just thankful. I'm thankful for God's goodness um, in all these different areas to see people taking steps of faith, to partner with our church and see people take steps of faith to be baptized as Christ has commanded it. So we're grateful for that. Let me pray for us and then we'll dive into Matthew chapter 22. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to stir in our hearts and to stir in our church God, I ask that you continue to do that. May we not take that for granted. But, Lord, may we always take time to just pause and just to meditate on your goodness to us. And your goodness has spanned across all generations, God. Not just to us now, but the generations before and the generations after. And so, Lord, today I pray as we we look at this command to glorify you, give us understanding. Give us wisdom on how we're called to glorify you. As a church corporately, but also as individuals privately. God, help us to glorify you. And if you're so bold, I would challenge you today in this moment of silence to pray that God would show you how you are called to glorify him today. Pray that now. And pray for me that as I open up God's word speak this truth, that it will be helpful to you and to our church during this time. Lord, we need you. I pray that you would be with us today, and I pray that what we hear from your word over the next few minutes would impact our lives for eternity. It's in your name we pray, amen. All right, Matthew chapter 22, just looking at a few verses today, starting in verse 36. This is what the word of the Lord says. Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and all the prophets. It's the Word of God. Last Sunday we looked with like a a magnifying glass or rather a a telescope and we looked broadly at history, we looked broadly at at God's Word and and looked at 30-ish passages last week. Talk about how God has called us in multiple places, even all the way back to creation, to glorify Him. As we hopped around these different passages, we saw over and over again this big, broad picture of God's call for you and for me to glorify Him. Well, today I want us to get out our microscope and dive deep into it. So not necessarily a broad brushstroke, but let's go deep in what what it means to glorify Him. And this passage that we read right here... Jesus is telling us, this is how you and I glorify him. This is what it looks like practically for you and I to glorify him. And this, work, this Bible verse right here is extremely important in this time and extremely important for us today. But this is a verse that had been around long before Jesus even spoke it here in Matthew 22. You go all the way back to the Old Testament in Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy 6, you see this verse. And this was an important verse for the Jewish people, God's people at that time. They would memorize this verse, and if you were a good Jew, you would say it in the morning and in the evening. People took uh, Deuteronomy 11 very seriously, and they started to take this verse and fold it, write it down, fold it up in little pieces of paper, and they would bind it on their hands, and they would bind it around their heads, and so there's a little strap in a box. If you've ever seen a Jewish person with that box between their eyes, it's got this verse in it. Because they believe this verse to be so important. And every verse of the Bible is important, every single one of them. But this seems to have more impact than other verses. At least according to Jesus, he says in verse 40, these two commandments depend on all the law and all the prophets. That's the entire Old Testament. Jesus is saying that all hinges on this. Because he's showing us how we glorify him. He's showing us how we live for him. And what I love about this verse is, this is not a verse of, a, of addition. It's the verse of intersection. There's a lot of debate over what each part of this means, what the heart means, what the soul means, what the mind means, and and what Luke and, and Mark talk about with the strength. But there's no doubt about this, that it's speaking of the entirety of our time and our life and our thoughts. I mean, in this verse, in verse 37, it says it multiple times, all, with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. So Jesus isn't saying right here, hey, what I want you to do is is add a couple things to your life and you're good. No, he's saying I want all of your life. I want all of you. And that's what he's calling us to do in this. So how do we do that, Jesus? How do we love you with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, with all of our mind? And that's what I want us to walk through this morning. And first, let's dive into the heart. Let's glorify God with our heart. This is speaking of our affections and our desires. And of the ones mentioned on here, this is probably the easiest for us to understand, okay, what I love and what I'm passionate about and what I desire when I glorify God with that. It's easy to understand, but it's, it's probably the hardest to live out. It's probably the hardest for us to, to live this out because there's certain things we want to hold on to, Right? We want to give God part of our heart and not all of it. But he looks at us right here and he says, I want you to love me with all of your heart. Now this is hard for us to do because the Bible even says the heartful heart is deceitful above all things. And so there's good desires in our heart and there are bad desires in our heart. Our hearts are bent and broken and we need a miracle to save us. And that's what Jesus said he came to do. He came to, to, to give us a new heart and new desires. And so please, if, you, if you're not a Christian here today, don't pursue this with morality. To say, well, I just, I'm going to try to be good to God more. Because you can't do it. You can't do it apart from Jesus coming into your life through faith and grace and saving you and giving you that new heart. And once you've trusted him and believed in him, your heart starts to desire new things. The the taste buds of your heart start to change, and things that you used to have no passion for, now you have a passion for. In Psalm 37, it says it like this, and you'll see the verse on the screen, but it says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. And for for me, for so long, I thought, well, as long as I just kind of love God a little and delight myself in Him, then whatever I want, God will give me. And that's not what that passage is teaching us. It's teaching us if we love God with all that we have and we delight ourselves in Him, then He will give us the desires of our heart. He will place in our heart desires that weren't even there before. That's what God does. And He says, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to give you new desires. And I would just ask you this morning, if you're a believer, what are your desires? What is it that God has placed in your heart that you love that other people don't have the same desire and passion for. What is that thing? Because God wants you to take that passion and that desire and to love Him with it, with everything you have. Let me get real practical with this. Some of you love your jobs. It's not wrong to love to work. It's not. It's wrong to have work as your God and you live everything in your life for your work. That's wrong. But God created us to work. Even before sin entered into the world in Genesis, there was work that was there. So if you love to work and that's your thing, you're like, "I, I enjoy doing this. Good. Then my question to you is, how do you glorify God with your work? And it's so easy for us to say, well, the only way I can glorify God is if I share the gospel with people. Well, yes, God would want you to be a light in your workplace, but that's too small a thing. God has called you to glorify him in your integrity, in your work ethic. God doesn't look at your life and say, well, I see you spend 50 to 60 hours a week doing this thing. Ah, I don't care about that. No, nah, that doesn't matter to me. No, it does matter to God. God knows that you spend six days a week working and one day a week resting. And he says, that's a good thing. Now love me with that. Love me with your job. For some of you, you think about your passions and what rushed to your mind is football. You're thinking, I just love football. Like, that's my desire. That's what I think about. Awesome. How do you glorify God with that? How do you use that passion, that desire you have to lift high the name of Jesus? In the previous neighborhood we lived in, some of the deepest relationships that I, that I had and, and many chances to love people and to care for people is because we just watch football together on Sundays. We just built relationships. We talked about life, and as we lived life together, it allowed me to share the gospel with people and love people and glorify God. We had these uh, this group of ladies at the previous church where I worked, and what they loved to do they loved to make blankets. They just loved it. That was just a passion they had. I I don't know, that's not a passion I have, but they loved it. And every week they would get together and they would just talk and they would make these blankets. And that's what they loved to do. That was their hobby. That was their passion. And they're like, okay, God's given us this passion. How can we glorify God with it? How do we use this passion to the glory of God? And so what they started to do is they started to make blankets. And then they would go and they would take it to the homeless. And they would just love them. They would take it to homeless shelters and they'd give it to them. They would go to people that had kids, newborns here in our church, and they would give those blankets to them. They took a passion and a desire that God had placed in their heart. Not a bad passion, not a bad desire, not a deceitful one, a good one. And they're like, how do we glorify you with it? This is what loving God with all of your heart looks like. It's what it looks like. And some of us would say, all right, okay, Ryan, that sounds great. But why would I ever want to glorify God with my affections and my desires? Why? Because when He is glorified, we are satisfied. When God is glorified, we are satisfied. This is what the gospel teaches us. Isaiah 55 verses one and two. This is an amazing picture of what the gospel does for us and how we are called to glorify God. God says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? doesn't satisfy. It says, listen diligent to me and eat what is good. And delight yourself in rich food. This is the call of the gospel. As we come to God and we glorify Him, we are satisfied. He says, You've been working, you've been spending your time, your energy, your effort, your expenses. You've spent all of this, and you're still hungry, and you're still thirsty. He says, Come to me, and you will be satisfied. Come to me, you who, I think this is interesting, He says, You who have no money, come buy and eat. How do you buy something when you have no money? It's because somebody else buys it for you and gives it to you. And that's what Christ does. He pays our debts on the cross and then he extends to us the gospel. Where he's like, glorify me and you will be satisfied. He says, you'll come and you will eat rich food. I'm so thankful that God doesn't call us to the soup kitchen of his kingdom. Hey, come to me, and if you glorify me, I'll, I'll give you just a little bit of, of porridge, and you'll be good. No, Isaiah 55 says, come to me, and you will have rich food. You will be satisfied when God is glorified. So I will just to challenge you, church. Look at the desires that God has given you. And say along with the psalmist in Psalm 34, I want to taste and see that the Lord is good. I want to be satisfied in him as I glorify him. And some of us, our affections are so cold right now. And you wonder why. Some of you think I'd love to to glorify God with my heart and to love him with all of my being, but God, my, my heart's just so cold. How do I I get that back? How do I get that flame back in my heart? The reason why many of us, our hearts are so cold is because we've starved the flame for so long. You haven't fueled it at all. This past week, there was a candle lit in my house. And my son came up and he was going to blow it out. And and I didn't want the smoke and everything everywhere. So I was like, no, 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 don't don't blow it out. Just take the the lid and you put it on top of the, the candle... And it snuffs it out. And so we put the, the lid on top of the jar, and you see the candle bl- burn for a little bit, and then it just goes out. And you see the smoke kind of spinning in there. And my son's like, Dad, how did that happen? Like, that's fire. Fire should burn the lid, right? Like, how did that even happen? And I said, Son, it's because the flame doesn't have any fuel. It needs oxygen to burn, and when it doesn't have fuel, then it snuffed out. For many of us, that's the problem of our heart. Our heart's cold because we haven't thrown a log on that fire in years or months or weeks. We're like, God, why is my heart not tuned to sing to you this morning? Why is my heart not inclined to pray to you? It's because we haven't put any fuel on that flame. You know what we've been putting on top of that flame? Our anxieties and our fears and our worries. and It continues to snuff it out. But God has given us, He's given you and I that fuel to flame that passion in our hearts. And one is just Himself, the goodness of who He is, remembering who He is. The the great author, Tolkien, he said there's one verse in the Bible, it's the shortest passage in all of the Psalms. Psalm 117, two verses, and he said, I believe those two verses are enough for us to sing praises to God for all of eternity. If we had none of the rest of the Bible, I encourage you to go read that. Think about that. How do I praise God by who He is and what He has done? God has put Himself on the display to stir the affections of our hearts. That we'd say our God is loving, our God is sovereign, He is in control, He is mighty, His kingdom is unshakable, and that stirs our heart, it stirs our affections. Page after page is, is God showing us who he is, that we would love him and live for him. God's also given us his church. He's given us his church. That we would come together as a community of believers to encourage one another, to pray for one another. And backtrack into that the image of the fire again. You take a, a coal out of the fire and you set it aside, it eventually goes out. You take that coal and you put it in the fire and it burns as a hot ember. And it's the same for us. If we pull ourselves back from Christian community, we start to see those affections just wane in our hearts. Then we just fill our hearts and our minds with news and media and worries and anxiety. Then, of course, the flame and passion for God's not burning. Because the fuel of community is not there. It was amazing to me. And you can go find this online. You don't have to take my word for it. I'm sure I'll talk about it again. But... Gallup Poll did a study on mental health for 2020. Fascinating, fascinating. In 2020, Gallup, and this is not a Christian organization, Gallup Poll did a study. And they found that everybody's mental health declined except for one group. One group. And it was the one that met regularly for religious meetings. (laughs) Go look it up. The only one that they saw an increase in mental health in 2020, we those that gathered together in Christian community. That's it. And so if you're worried and you're like, well, gosh, I, I need to get my mental health under control, it starts with a Christian community. And it starts with understanding who God is and finding your rest there. But another fuel for that flame is prayer. We have to pray. We cannot do this in our own strength and our own ability. We can't. We'll wake up weary and exhausted, but we come and we say, God, would you please fan the flame? Would you start the flame in my life? It's not even there yet. God, would you start it? Would you give me that that satisfaction that my my heart so longs for? May I find peace in you. Pray, God, stir the affections of my heart for you that I would love you with all of my heart. So let's love and glorify God with our heart. But second, let's glorify God with our soul. Let's glorify glorify God with our soul. Now this one is our emotions and our identity. This is the deepest part of us. It speaks about our soul. And some of us don't want to go there. We just don't. We grew up and we're like, nope. To be a strong person, I have to be stoic. i got to hide all my emotions. And so I'll glorify God in my heart as long as I don't have to show that to anybody else. But Jesus in this passage is saying, no, 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 with your emotions, with your emotions, glorify me. You realize that God has given you the emotions that you have? Our God has emotions. He's created us with sorrow, and you see Jesus wept over things, right? He was called the man of sorrows. We see that there's joy, and we we should worship God with joy. All of these are emotions that are, Coming through our heart. But we look at it and we're like, no, 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 no. Let's be completely rational. Let's be uh, thinkers. Let's just love God with our heart and faith. And Jesus is like, but I want your emotions too. And for those of you that would push back on that a little bit, like, "Ah, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's really for me, the emotional side of things. Got to be a man. Got to be a strong man, right? David, King David in the Bible, you would look at and say, Man, he's actually one of the strongest men. He's one of the strongest men. I mean, man, he, he took down lions and bears with a slingshot. I don't want to do that with a 7 millimeter rifle and a tree stand. I don't want to do that. And he did. I mean, he had songs written about him where they said, hey, Saul slayed his thousands, David his ten thousands. He was a warrior. He would sleep outside at night with the sheep. He didn't go glamping. He was camping. He was out there. This is a man's man. And yet he wrote some of the most emotional psalms that you and I read. Some of those beautiful things he writes about God. He says in Psalm 63, Your steadfast love, O Lord. Your steadfast love is better than life. He said in Psalm 84, Better is one day with you. One day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I mean, these are are sappy songs that he's writing because he loves God. His heart is moved. His emotions is moved. His soul is moved. And he says, as a deer pants for water, so my soul pants for you. He wrote all these songs, not because he was weak, not because he was just this feeble little man. No, No, he was a strong man who used his emotions to worship and to glorify God. David was emotional because he loved God. He was passionate about God. And you and I, our emotions are moved when we are passionate about something. They are. Even the simplest of things, when we love something, when we're passionate about it, our emotions are moved. Let me me explain it like this. Some of you are Panthers fans. If you're a Panthers fan, this year was a brutal year. It's a brutal year. And I, I would watch games on Sunday afternoons, and I would get upset. Visibly upset. My wife would be like, why are you so mad? And I'm like, because the Panthers lost again. And they didn't just lose. Like, they, they took a beat down. Like, it was just painful to watch. They fumbled the ball on the one-yard line. And I get worked up over this. She's like, why are you so worked up? And it's because I cared, right? I care. And so I get upset about that. But on the flip side of that, I think of good memories. Like, back in 2016, when they won the NFC Championship. There's a picture you see on the screen. They're all celebrating. I remember watching that game. And my emotions were moved. Why? Because I cared about the team. When I watched this game live, nobody had to tell me what to do. I didn't sit there in the chair in the recliner, and they scored a touchdown, and I just sat there, stoic, everything composed. They didn't win it, and I say, well, that's great, they won, it's over. No, no, I got up from my chair, and I'm like, yes, like we scored a touchdown, we won. Why? Because I'm passionate about that. I care about that. And the the same is true for us. If you've never had your emotions moved by the Lord, do you truly love Him? Are you truly seeking Him? Because if you really love something, and something really matters to you, you don't have to have somebody give you a list of saying, this is how you're going to have to do these things, and you're going to have to smile at this point, you're going to have to raise your hands at this point. Like, no, that emotion flows out of you. Because you love the Lord. Some of you hear this this whole section on emotion, and you say, well, Ryan, I can't, I can't turn on my emotions like a light switch. I can't just come over here and say, okay, I'll be emotional, flip it on, okay, and I can turn it off, flip it off. Like, you, you can't do that. And you might be right. But what I've found in my heart is, in the times where I struggle to have emotion towards the Lord, if I step out in faith and I glorify Him, and I praise Him, Those emotions follow. And that's not a call to fake things. It's not. It's a call for us to respond in faith. That God, you've called us to respond in emotions to you. And so I'm going to respond in faith, knowing that you're good and you're faithful and you're just and you're right. And I'm going to love and worship you in that way. I'm going to respond in that way. And so, yes, I'll sing when my heart is distant from you. Yes, I'll pray, God, tune my heart to sing your praise when it's cold. Come to him and say, God, I will raise my hand in prayer because your word has deemed it so. And we look and we say, okay, I will worship you with all of my emotions. And we're going to do that as a church, too. We will do that as a church. God's word says weep with those who weep. Many of us have been through a hard year, and we're going to cry together. We are. We're going to worship God in that way because he calls us to. We're also going to glorify God with our joy and with our gladness. He says to us in Psalm 100 that we should worship him with gladness and with joy. He calls us to do that. He does. We're also going to bring our fears to the foot of the cross as a church. And we're going to love what God loves. And we're going to hate and detest what God hates and detests. Because he calls us to. We're going to glorify him with all of our emotions as a church. So glorify God with your heart, glorify God with your soul, your emotions, but lastly, let's glorify God with our mind. With our mind. And this is our intellect. This is what we think about. And it's interesting because a lot of us, this is our biggest struggle with Christianity, is we feel like if we are going to define Christianity, it would be a lot about moral do's and don'ts. And it would be about if I do this, then I'm a Christian, if I don't do this, but... Or, or there's a lot of emotion, like it's good for grandma because she finds peace in her, her worries, but not necessarily for me. And so we kind of pat people on the head like that, and we're like, it's, it's good for them. But they don't think diligently about things. But that's not what God calls us to do. He says, take your mind, take your intellect, take your wisdom, and worship me with it. Think about things meditate on things, marinate on God's truth, think. Some of your biggest struggles, some of y'all, is thinking this, that thinking Christian is an oxymoron. Those two things don't go together, but that's not what Jesus said. He gave us a mind as well to use, to think through things, to think on his word, to think on our world. That's what he's called us to do. And this whole picture of all those people don't think well or they're not really educated, that's not true and hasn't been true of Christianity for generations. Some of the brightest scientists and some of the brightest mathematicians came through the Christian faith. Blaise Pascal, some of you may know him, you're in high school, you're learning about math. He was one of the best mathematicians that ever walked this earth. And his his math we still use today And one of the things I'm most thankful for is he was one of the first two people to create a mechanical calculator. Praise God for that, right? (laughs) This man, he looked at the world and he says, I love God and I see how he's created this world and I'm going to worship him through this. This guy was no dummy. He thought hard about Christ. and He lived for him. He glorified him with his mind. Robert Boyle, a guy that you may or may not know, but is actually one of the most influential Um, people in chemistry in the history of the world. And he said this quote, he said, the study of science could improve our glory, our glorification of God. He said, as we study science, it doesn't lead us away from God, it leads us to God because we see the complexities of this world and that there has to be a creator. And then as you use your mind to think through rationally this, you see that the, the creator is Jesus Christ. We see evidence after evidence after evidence. All throughout history, there have been very, very smart men and women who have shaped our world through their Christianity and their love for Christ. And Jesus would say, yeah, that was my plan. That was my design. That you would love me with all of your mind. These men and women who live lives like this, they knew. They knew that God had given us two primary things that lead us to worship and glorify God with their mind. The world and his word. The world and his word. And we looked at it last week in Psalm 19, where it says the heavens declare the glory of God. And when we look at creation, it stirs our affections for God. And we're blown away at how everything is so beautifully made. And we say, this is amazing, God. Jesus even tells you, you and I, to go out and look at the world. Look at it, and it will cause you to glorify him. Jesus said, hey, go look at the birds. Go look at the birds. Our world right now, we spend about two and a half hours. The average person spends two and a half hours on social media a day. Two and a half hours. I'm not saying you shouldn't spend any time on social media. I'm just saying two and a half hours a day. Take an hour of that and just look at a bird. Just look at a bird. Look at a tree, okay? Jesus said to do that, and he actually tells you why. Why we should look at a bird. In Matthew 6, he says, when you look at the bird... You see how God provides. So instead of looking at a screen and looking at social media and worrying, we stand and we look at a bird and we say, God, you provide. You've provided for this bird. Jesus says, hey, go look at the flower. Look at the flower. How It's not anxious. It doesn't toil. It doesn't spin. And yet it's it's beautiful. Look at the flower. What am I supposed to learn from that? That God creates beautiful things and he sustains things. He does. In the book of Proverbs, it actually tells us to go look at ants.